Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Thank you so much. I am Emily Blunt. Um, if you met me this morning, I am also super awkward. So that's just me. If you thought that was like a one-off, nope, it me. <laughs> Um, I'm a little bit of a goof, so I am so grateful to be here this morning. Are you? I feel like a lot of preaching has been done around communion and, and prayer and healing and our offering already. I don't know what more I have for you guys, so I'll just close this out in prayer. Sound good? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Okay, so uh, this morning we are going to start by doing something that's called the Nicene, the Nicene Creed. Um, if you were raised Catholic, the Catholics kind of hijacked it from um, 325 AD um, in Nicaea. A, a church came up with this proclamation of faith. Um, and it doesn't really belong to the, fa- the Catholics. It belongs to everybody who loves Jesus and recognizes his, his triune um, persona. And it's a confession of our faith. So we're going to read that together this morning. Miss Kelsey, if you want to throw that up. We got it. We got it. There she is. All right. Let's read it together, guys. Okay? One, two, (laughs) three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and everlasting life. Amen. Amen. I, I mix that up at the end, but it means the same thing. Is it good? Yes? Yes? Um, this morning, after just saying this prayer and this confession of faith together, as we are going into the year and, and piercing the veil and, and studying on being the burning ones, I just want to say that Wednesday marked 60 days into the year, Right? So we've been praying and fasting that first month. You guys, you have the Dwell app. I don't know that there is anything else that church can, can physically do to help us access with ease um, the Word of God. Have we been using it? Have we been getting in? Have we been grinding and, and galvanizing ourselves? You guys have the tools. Use the tools. Say it with me. Use the tools. All right, we will throw that Dwell app um, freebie up on the screen after service. So if you are new and you don't have it and you want to get into that, that's the way to do it. Okay? Yes? Are we live this morning? Are we awake? All right. Um, If you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 4 and just leave it open, we're going to do some reading around the Beatitudes. Um, Before I read, I would love it if we could just stand for the reading of the Word. So Matthew 4, 23 through 25. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease 
and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, the paralytics, and he healed them. And the great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decropolis, and from Jerusalem to Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Matthew 5, 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted from righteous, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they are per for so they persecuted the prophets before you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Amen, amen, amen. All right, y'all can be seated. On Thursday, we heard Francis Chan, um, who is amazing. He talked about the reverence of God and the word of God. And I think sometimes we move so quickly in life that we, we forget that reverence. And it's good to just stop and pause and stand for the reading of the word. You hear me this morning? Well, I hear you. Amen. All right. So Matthew, opening up in four, we see here that Jesus is going through the countryside and he's healing literally anyone he comes across. He's healing and he's healing and he's healing. And then he's, he's going out into the countryside along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. And then he heads inland to a little a rise, a mount um, called Arbel, Mount Arbel. And he sits and he tells the disciples about the blessed life. If my message this morning had a title, it would be the blessed life. Now, I think that it's really important that as we read about Jesus, I mean, as we read about any of the anything in the Bible, historically, it's really good to know the setting, right? The people and the period, the customs, social things, all of these add context to the scripture that we're reading. It makes it more, it makes it more real. It makes it like we're there and less of something that we're just reading. You hear me? So we're going to be talking a little bit about where he was at at the time, what he was doing, and what it looked like around him. Um, I think it's really important to call to your attention, because this is new information to me, that Jesus' entire ministry, his entire ministry, was only done within 12 square miles. That's all the more his personal ministry here on earth from 30 to 33 when he died. It was 12 square miles. So to give you a little context, if you take our smallest state in the U.S., does anybody know what that is? Nice. Nice. Um, we could throw that up on the screen. There's Rhode Island. Looks like a post-it note. If you take that state and you cut it into four pieces, one of those pieces is a 12-mile radius. That would have been equal to Jesus' ministry at the time. So the land that he's covering and where he's going, it's a condensed area, right? 
He's going back and forth. He's coming, he's going. He's going out into the water. He's coming back. He's going city to city. He's hanging out in the wilderness. That is 12 miles squared. Now, as he's moving about, as he's going around, he is doing all of his ministry in such a small section, and he is the most famous person ever to walk on the planet, right? Everyone, everyone knows who he is that is in a country that is, is not third world or living on the Amazon. Like, everybody knows of Jesus, believer or no. They know of this Jesus guy. He did all of that without a YouTube, a Facebook, or an Instagram, guys. I'm just saying. He lived a very potent life. And what he's calling us to is to also live a very powerful, empowered, and potent life. Right? Your personal sphere of ministry is incredible. And if you think that having a mic or being on a stage makes it that much more potent, Jesus never had a mic. He never even had a stage. Okay? So just keep that in mind. All right, in Matthew 4.23, so turn there in your Bible and just leave it open because you're going to want to have this in front of you. Matthew 4.23. He went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout Syria, and they brought him all of the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons having seizures, paralytics. He healed them all. The great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus moved amid the cities and the countryside doing nothing but healing and healing and healing. It also mentions those who are oppressed by demons. And I know that Zach got up here and he was like, that's a scary thing. It's not a scary thing. We need to get away from it being a scary thing. Um, it needs to be a normal thing. We need to make deliverance great again. Right, guys? Um, somebody should throw that on a hat. Like, we should, we should sell those. Or give them away. Give, oh, hey, somebody did! Nice! We'll have those out front next week. Cha-ching! Um, we need to get away from being informed about deliverance and demonic oppression um, by Hollywood. Honestly, we need to get away from that, Okay? There's no shame when it comes to recognizing that we are oppressed by a demonic entity that is living in a house that was only meant to ever house the Holy Spirit, okay? We've got this thing. It's like, oh, man, it can't be me. This can't be wrong with me. This can't be on me. Like, no, that's not the way it was meant to be, but it is a thing, and it happens all the time. And my encouragement to every single person here, including myself, is that if the door is ever open and a foot gets in the door and something is hanging out in there that should not be, something is oppressing you, and you have even the slightest thought that you are struggling with some type of oppression, we need to get that off from you. We've got leadership that is trained and chomping at the bit, especially Zach, ready to send some demons back to hell. Amen? There is more shame and more hurt and more pain in staying bound up than becoming free. The word deliverance itself, it means the action of being rescued or set free. Deliverance is for today. 
just like it was for yesterday, just like it was for a couple hundred years ago. Deliverance is for now. We need to normalize it as far as it being a thing that is practiced daily, if need be, okay? We walk through this world acting and thinking that we have stuff together all the time. A little hole gets poked in there, and something sticks its finger inside, and it gets a hold of us. And these things, as he's talking about healing physical things, demonic oppression is physical. It's physical. Some particular ones are very mental, but it is physical. Some of these things are displayed physically, just like what Zach talked about earlier about the boy having the seizures. We've got to make this normal again. That being said, if you have something in your house that isn't the Holy Spirit, let's get that garbage out. Yes? All right. We will never, able, we will never be able to fully understand, appreciate, have access to everything that God has for us being oppressed people. We need to get that gone. We want to know God in his fullness. We want freedom, and he is down to rescue us today. So, tangent aside, Jesus is traveling amid the countryside. There's a crowd that's following him, and, and he's healing. He's healing. He's healing. He works his way over to the, the Sea of Galilee, which actually isn't a sea, guys. It's a lake. They just call it a sea because it sounds fancy. Um, it is a freshwater lake, which is kind of incredible. And he comes to the lake, and this crowd has just been following him and following him. So he walks up this mountain. No big deal. This guy's cardio in. He walks up this mountain, and he's looking out over this lake and the crowd that's down below. And, he, and the, the disciples come. They gather. They gather around him. And as he was physically healing, just moments before, he begins to give a discourse on a different kind of healing. So we've seen physical healing. Now he's going to lead the disciples. He's going to lead us into understanding and knowing the other half, the other side of complete healing. He'd been blessing those around him with physical healing, and now he's getting ready to bless those around him with internal healing, with healing of the spirit, mind, and soul. He's getting ready to bless them, to heal their emotions, to heal spiritual breakage. He wants all aspects of the person to have unity and wholeness in him. You hear me this morning? As he corrects and he blesses the body, he goes on to correct and bless the inner spirit man. Now, um, as I was reading back my message to Matt over the weekend, as I do, um, he taught me about sozo. Does anybody know this Greek word sozo? Jay, of course you know it. I'm not shocked. He knows it all. Sozo in the Greek means wholeness. Wholeness in spirit, wholeness in soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and wholeness in body. It is the complete healing of body, soul, and spirit. As Matt said, the complete resurrected man. It's all of it together, okay? So he's recognizing that even if we receive our physical healing, that there's a whole lot of other stuff going on in the inside that still needs taken care of. Yes? Does anybody relate to that? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah? So Jesus gives us the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes describe the blessedness of those 
who have a certain quality or experience specific to belonging to the kingdom of heaven. If that's too long, it's a noun that refers to a state of great joy or being blessed. You hear me this morning? Yeah, you awake, Cole? Yeah. Beatitude inherited its blessedness from the Latin word beati, meaning happy and blessed. This bestowal of truth that Jesus is getting ready to lay on us, bestowal, it means giving something as an honor or as a gift. He's getting ready to give us a gift. Now listen, the Beatitudes, 5-2. Got your Bibles? Here we go. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't just pull these blessings out of nowhere. He doesn't just make them up. He's looking out over a crowd of people who are registering everything he just said. There's brokenness displayed on every level, right in front of him. And he's calling it out as he sees it. He was doing it for the Jews then, and he's doing it for us today. If we look a little bit at the geography of where Jesus was, um, I have a map up here showing the Sea of Galilee. It almost becomes another character that's present in this, in this history. As he's sitting on this mountain, and he's looking out over the people, and he's calling out all these different aspects of brokenness, and the way that God wants us to be whole and healed and set free, the, the physical nature of the land around him just gives us all the more context. He, he later goes on after the passage of the Beatitudes to say that we are salt of the earth. And if you look at the map, he was sitting on this side of the Sea of Galilee, right behind Magdala. That's where Arbel is. So he's looking over at Magdala, and Magdala was a salt flat. It was a city that harvested salt for the preservation of fish. And he goes on to describe us as a, a city on a hill, that we are the light of the world. And directly across from Magdala, over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, was Hippos, which was a major city that at night it would have lit up the sky. He's looking at people directly in front of him. He's using natures of the landscape to call out and describe attributes of people who are part of the kingdom of God. It's so important that we know what Jesus is looking at, who is around him. He's not just sitting in a, in a bare white room staring at a wall while he's saying and calling all these things out. He saw, he saw them and he sees us today, right now. We have, got to, we have got to get that on the inside of us. This isn't just an old book or, or a, a great story. This is the king of the universe, personally involved with every aspect of our lives. Amen? All right. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are broken, downcast, humble, contrite, weak, tired. Blessed are those who are aware of their own limitations and their great need and dependence on God. Theirs is the kingdom. Does that apply to anybody this morning? Anybody? No? Get those hands up, people. Let me see them. Come on now. Yes. Thank you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed is the woman who is a caretaker of a special needs child, who washes her, clothes her, helps her brush her teeth, fights for her, prays for her, doesn't see her healing come yet, but still clings on to God every day. Yours is the kingdom. Blessed is a young man who's so full of love and ready to get married and yet has to contend for his purity and his faithfulness to that purity and to God, wrestling the struggle, the death grip on hope that he must have, that God has not overlooked him, that God is still working, that God is still on the move. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who witness the brokenness that this world is so full of, and it hurts their heart. It grieves their heart. Blessed are those who look at something like this shooting at MSU and are overwhelmed by the heartbreak of what, have ha- what has happened and the void that follows that should be filled of why, why, the reasons why these things happen and doesn't get an answer for any number of things that happen personally or in our world at large. Blessed are those who are grieved, don't understand, and still choose to worship God. Blessed are those who believe in faith that it is not God's plan for that to happen. That it never was, but still he is present. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. There are blessings that we recognize. There is a blessing when we recognize where our own strength ends and where God's begins. Yes? There is a blessing to being poor in our spirit. There are many points in my life where I have felt so wrung out, so gutted, that all I could do was lay on my face and cry to the Lord and hang on. Cry and hang on, and just call to him and ask why. Why? I'll tell you what, rarely do I get an answer. (laughs) And ultimately that why, it's unimportant. Because what's happened has already happened. And God has been present the entire time. The why, it doesn't soothe me. The why doesn't comfort me. It's God. It's God moving and aware of my pain. He is at work in the good, and he is at work amidst the bad. Yes? There are things this side of heaven we will never understand, guys. Sorry if somebody told you otherwise. There are things we will never understand. And we serve a God who is deaf a mysterious God, right? We don't have it all figured out. We don't have him all figured out. 
There are mysteries in this life we will just have to be comfortable with. We will have to have the faith of a child. I remember whenever, when anybody asks me what my favorite age was, it was seven. Seven years old, that was it, I peaked. Seven. Because I had no worries. I had no worries. I trusted my mother and my father completely. Sometimes they said things that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I didn't understand the why, but I trusted and believed that they had their best intentions for me. Can anybody relate to that? God is the same way. Faith of a child. When I worship, when I choose to worship through the pain in my body or through chronic illness that I have not seen healed yet, I know mine is the kingdom of heaven. Say it with me this morning. Mine is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they recognize their great need for God. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those grieving, dealing with loss, loneliness, and betrayal. As human beings, we constantly grieve the heart of God. When he saw what humanity would ultimately do to his son, he mourned. He grieved. He also understood that it needed to happen so that the cycle, the unending cycle of oath-breaking, of human oath-breaking, could end and be done away with forever. He mourns as we mourn. He's grieved as we are grieved. And this whole human heartbreak is never what he intended, ever. But it is what we've made for ourselves. And to recognize that we live in a broken and sinful, sinful world that is filled with death and loss. But he is also here to comfort us. Maybe not by removing pain, but he's always there in the pain. If we can quiet ourselves and give ourselves a chance to see and hear him, he's always there. If we never mourn in this life, we'll never know what it is to be comforted by God. And that's something we only get to do topside. There's no mourning in heaven. <laughs> this is something we only get to experience here. Yes? There is a part of him that we will only see here. And there's a blessing in that. You hear me, people? Blessed is the widow who mourns for the loss of her husband, her partner for life. She will know and understand a reliance on God that many of us currently cannot contemplate. She will have to rebuild a life in the absence of a lost partner and friend and confidant. She will know in her mourning an aspect of God that we can only imagine. Not only spiritual, but spiritually, but practically, she will have to learn how to do life all over again without this person. She will have to thoroughly trust in God and to trust, trust in the people around her in a way that will be new 
and challenging for her. But she will be comforted if she lets the Lord comfort her. Blessed is a mother who mourns a miscarriage. The Lord sees her mourning, and he loves this baby even more than she does. There is a loss with a miscarriage that a person who's never had one cannot understand. But God can. He knows what it is to knit that baby together in that mother's womb. He knows and he understands the preciousness that she feels about her body as she's growing a new life inside of her. And he knows well about loss. He sees the tears, he knows the pain, and he holds that child against his own chest as he comforts that mother here on earth. Blessed are the lonely. Those who want to have community, family, and relationship but find themselves alone and grieving. God is so full of love for the human race. He is so in love with us that so many times, sadly, we've chose to scorn him. We abuse his awesome, awesome power and love, and we throw down a relationship with him to embrace a relationship with a lost and dying world. You will be comforted. God will lead you into community. And it is up to us to be activated, to lean into the blessing that he's giving us, and to again trust, even in the face of being hurt. God will comfort you. Mentioning here the word beatitude also means to be happy, to advance, to progress, to go forward, to lead on, and to relieve, which shows that it's not an inactive thing that just rests on you. It's an action we have to lean into. It's something we have to pick up and, and carry with us. It's a mantle we have to have set on us. These two beatitudes mentioned, being poor in spirit and mourning, are things that he will lead us through. Praise God. Huge caveat, if we let him. Right? We have to let him. And I just want to ask this question this morning, just privately to yourselves. Is there an area in your life that you are not letting the Lord lead you through? Is there an area in your life you are not letting him comfort you? Because he wants to so badly. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who serve God and serve others over themselves. Blessed are those who are humble and could care less about self-promotion. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Often people hear the word meek and they align it with the word weak, which I can see the world at work in that. To take something, to take a suitable attribute that God favors and to call it weakness. Jesus himself was a meek person. He came to serve. Is there power and a whole lot of stuff on the other side of that? Absolutely, yes. But meekness, when it comes to submitting ourselves to the will of God. Yes? 
I don't think Jesus's desire, like when he came to planet Earth, was that, yeah, someday I'm going to climb this hill and I'm, I'm going to die on a cross and I'm really looking forward to that. That's not what he wanted to do. He understood that that's what God was calling him to. That was what God had for him. That needed to happen so the cycle of covenant breaking could end. He understood that. He took his will meekly and submitted it to the Lord. And God was able to move through him and save us all from living in utter darkness and out of the presence of God because Jesus did that. Meekness in reality is defined as an amalgam of righteousness, inner humility, and patience. And it says that the meek shall inherit the earth. I think this means that as we submit ourselves to God, he will promote us more than we ever could. We will find ourselves in room we could never beg ourselves into. You'll be at work and your boss will come to you for prayer and for need of healing and consolation. That, and you won't understand why. You'll be like, what the heck? This isn't me. This is a God thing. You're right. It is. But your faithfulness to to taking on that meekness means that God can move through you. Submitting ourselves completely to him means he doesn't have to fight with an opposing nature to use us. Yes? Verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who are self-disciplined, who work and strive and sacrifice to be holy. This working and striving, it isn't the same type of working and striving that's like in the Christian zeitgeist that's gross, right? That fake it till you make it garbage. I think that came out of the 80s. I cursed that thing. It can go back to hell. Jesus never calls us um, to fake it till we make it, right? He's real, he's authentic, and he's calling us to be the same. When it comes down to working and striving to be holy, it's not an outward appearance. It's not wearing a three-piece suit, having your hair get slicked back, looking like a million bucks, checking the box and doing the church thing. It's not that. It is an inward posturing of your heart. That is the working and the striving that we are talking about to be holy. You hear me, people? When I talk about righteousness... I often try to align it with the word holiness because a person can be righteous by the world's degree. They can give to the poor. They can be justice warriors and be completely spiritually bankrupt. When we align right standing, which is what righteousness means, with being in right standing with God, that is different than being in right standing with the world. Amen? And that right standing with God leads to holiness, that inner heart work that we're talking about today. Blessed are those who thirst to be like God, to be holy, to be pruned. Johnny B. said it the best. It's John the Baptist, by the way. I must decrease so that he can increase. Blessed are those who seek to have less of themselves 
and more of God living through them. Your satisfaction will never be found in this world. My, my satisfaction will never, ever be found in this world. It will only be found in God alone. By hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you unlock a greater part of your nature as his creation than other people who try to find that fulfillment in something else. The difference is, is that you will be satisfied. The hunger and the thirst that you have, it will be satisfied. In lack, satisfied. In the storm, satisfied. Amid hellfire, satisfied. In your single season, satisfied. In the workplace, satisfied. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you fill your belly with the word of God and are faithful to that word, you will be satisfied. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are those who forgive and those who forgive at great cost. You too shall be shown great mercy. You will know the heart of God. God is so merciful. Forgiveness is a gift and a practice that he gave us that blesses us and blesses others as well. It is one that you cannot receive if you don't give it first. Does everybody understand that today? If you think that you can sit in a place of judgment, harboring unforgiveness, you will not be forgiven. It is black and white. There's no gray area in there. <laughs> Forgive, be forgiven. It's incredible to me how much God has forgiven with all of the garbage that we've done. It's unreal. It's mind-blowing. And he still forgives. I think that we can do the same. Yes? I can tell you from personal experience, there is nothing that shocks a person more who hates your guts than forgiveness. And even more on top of that, blessing them. It will shock their pants off. They will not know what to do. To curse you or take the gift you just gave them. It's a paradox, and that's kind of how Jesus rolls. Amen? Forgiveness is the key to unlocking a very powerful attribute of God. That attribute is mercy. Mercy and love and compassion are what drove God to send the Christ to planet Earth. It is what drove God to take on human flesh and come and prove his love once again for all of humanity one final time. And there is something that I have been studying about being drawn onto the heart of God. As I've moved my way through Exodus, and I'm studying about the Israelites coming out of Egypt, all the insane miracles that God did amid all of the Jewish people. I mean, he, he parted the Red Sea. He gave them bread from the sky. Um, he made their sandals not wear out as they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Their sandals didn't wear out. Like, whoa. In all, amid all of that provision, it was God's power when used for destruction that drew their hearts to him. It wasn't about the parting of the sea. It was about when the Egyptians came and he unparted the sea. And he killed all those guys. Then they were like, oh my goodness, wow, God. 
we worship you. And then we build a golden calf. But then we worship you after a plague. It is the violence and destruction that pours out of God when it comes from the brokenness, sin nature of our world and having other idols before him that have drawn us to God and his power. Jesus came, and all he did was create. All he did was mend. All he did was make whole. And they hated him for it. They hated him for it. And they wanted to destroy him. There's nothing wrong with God. (laughs) There's something wrong with us. And what draws us on to him It shouldn't be this pillar of fire, although that is God. It should be his love, his devotion, his compassion, and his creation that makes him worthy to be worshipped. Because it's been proven that humans can be very, very destructive, yes? God is the only one who can create. Nobody else can do that. Jesus didn't come to bring plagues and punishment and destruction. He came to heal and to heal and to heal. And still humanity rejected him. He's telling us that if you can get on my level of forgiveness, because let's talk about it. (laughs) He's forgiven us a lot. And he's been betrayed a lot. He knows more about betrayal than we ever will. If we can get on his level with forgiveness, it will unlock, it will gut that religious spirit that we've been talking about. That tells us that fear is the heart of love. When in reality, mercy and forgiveness is the heart of of love. That is what is in God's heart. Fear of the Lord is good, right? Recognizing the awe and and the power that he has. That fear of the Lord It means that in one hand, he has the power of destruction, the power to undo creation itself. But in his heart, there's love and compassion and creation. And the heart holds back the hand. Yes? And we have the ability to extend that grace to our very greatest enemies. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who have embraced and washed clean of sin. Blessed are those who renew their minds and guard their hearts. They will see God. Since the day we're born, the enemy goes about attacking our innocence and trying to destroy it, telling us that there is that we are not good enough to be and to come within the presence of God, to receive the healing and the forgiveness that he has for us. We've gone too far. We can't go back. But I say... Those who have walked a hard road, who have seen the ugliness, who have fallen into sin to great measure, they recognize the redemptive power of Christ's blood to a greater measure than the rest of us ever will. Yes? And the beauty of it is that in turn, they will be able to turn and pour that out on others. There's a very specific blessing. and These are very specific blessings for very specific people. 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. 
Blessed are the ones who bring the truth of God to those in the world. Blessed are the ones who show how unity can be achieved amid division. Blessed is the intercessor and the go-between, the one in tune with God's own heart, who knows his nature and is able to display and describe his will to the lost and dying of this world. Note here that it calls us peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Two different things, right? Write it down in your notes. You're not going to want to forget this. You are called a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Peacekeeping is for the force that comes after the peacemaker has made room for it. That's on God. God is the peacekeeper. He ultimately keeps the peace when the, the Holy Spirit resides within us. That is him, that is his force, his power over our hearts and our minds that leads to keeping the peace. And thank God that that's not on us, right? Because if it was up to us, we'd fail and we'd feel badly. Only Christ is the Prince of Peace. We are merely the priests who tend the fire, the voice in the wilderness that cries out, the kingdom of heaven is here. We are the peacemakers that make room for the keeper of peace. Letting the Holy Spirit be active in moving within us is how the peace is kept. As we share our testimony and invite people to church and pray for strangers, and we extend that hope to others, and people have that opportunity to receive that hope. The relief is, is that if people reject that hope, they're rejecting Christ. They're not rejecting us. Or it might be twofold. But we don't have to take that hit, right? We're extending that grace we're, they're asking a question. We're giving them the answer. They can choose to keep it or they can choose to reject it. That is not on us. Thank God. That's not our burden to bear. Amen? Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who suffer for being holy and for choosing God. Jesus doubles that up in verse 11 and 12, saying blessed are those Blessed are you when you are reviled, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are those who are hated and endure under hatred. Rejoice and know that you're in good company. Never once historically have I heard of a person who chose to love Christ and never suffered under persecution. Never. I've never heard of them. Prove me wrong. The sin nature of this world, first and foremost, is to reject God. And if you are for God, then they will reject you. I don't care if you're the kindest, cutest, most holy, cool, awesome person. If you choose to love God, someone will hate you. And they probably have a demon in them. But they will hate you you will suffer persecution. And look at what Christ did. Never did he sin. He healed and he mended and he taught. He loved and he saw the very least of these. And they hated him. They hated him for it. They hated him so much that killing him outright wasn't enough. They needed to torture him so that he barely looked like a human being. 
by the time he died. And we so often wondered when his body was resurrected and the disciples just didn't know him. They just couldn't imagine that that was the Christ and they had to stick their fingers in the holes in his hands and in his side. It's because when he died on that cross, he did not look human anymore. And they could not believe that someone could be so completely resurrected. Are you following me? And I would hazard a guess that a few, that a few of us have ever had our tires slashed because we're a Christian. Anybody in the house? Our houses have been burned down. Anybody? We've been threatened. It's never happened. Or torn out of their beds at night and taken somewhere and, and brutally murdered. For our American coddled minds, it's hard for us to understand what that type of persecution looks like. But it is alive and well in the world today. <laughs> it might not be happening here yet. Big emphasis on the yet. But it is alive in the world today. Takeover supports Pastor Abraham, Brother Abraham, who we love, for, in Christ for India. I cannot tell you the amount of times I've heard this man tell stories about a Muslim mob whipped into a fury that's going to kill him and throw him in a river. Thankfully, it hasn't happened. But persecution is very, very real. And the most, our persecution that we can relate to is hurt feelings, generally, right? Feelings are real, and they do get hurt. But that is a different level, amen? We need to be contemplating these things when it comes to persecution. We need to make sure our roots are deep and we're really, really in this thing. Because it might not be happening now, but that day is coming. And it's not something to be afraid of. It's something to be prepared for. Okay? The kingdom of heaven is ours, guys. It's ours. And not only that, there is a reward that's waiting for us in heaven that we will not see topside. We must hold fast to the gospel. Through being poor in spirit and mourning, growing in weakness, hunger for holiness, forgiveness, remaining pure in heart and living as peacemakers, and ultimately through the persecution that will follow the former, we will be blessed beyond measure. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He didn't come for the beautiful. He came for the broken. He didn't come for the strongest, that they have it in their minds. They have no need for him. He came for the weak. He came for the poor in spirit, the lowly and the least. There is not a single beatitude that says, blessed is he who never cries. He's really tough, and that's alpha. It doesn't say that. Because God's not going to bless that. He's going to bless our deep and desperate need for him. Amen. He came to say, I see you. Just as he was saying to all of those Jews in the crowd that were gathered there that day, I see you. Every single one of you. Somebody needs to hear that today, that the Lord sees you. If you just want to close your eyes,
the Lord sees you, the season you're in, the season you're coming out of, and the season that you're going into. He recognizes the heaviness and the loneliness of your hearts. Maybe you're in a blessing season right now. Maybe you're really feeling it. Maybe the sun is shining on your face. Praise God. Maybe you are lowly in spirit and you are barely holding it together. The Lord sees you. The things you've done, the things you will do, he sees you. And he says, I will give it all to you if you will give all of yourself to me. As we go into our last song of worship, I'm going to have a couple of our leaders come up to the front. We're going to do something a little bit different today. We often open up our altar and we, we say, if you have a prayer need, come up to the front, get your, have someone stand in agreement with you, get prayed over. This morning, we are going to have our team, which is prepared before you got here, to pronounce a blessing over you. If you need a blessing this morning, which should be everybody in the room, right? If you want a blessing, our leadership has cleaned, cleaned their hearts, repented, offered forgiveness. They are ready to meet with you. They're going to welcome in the Holy Spirit. They're going to make themselves quiet. And they're going to let the Spirit come forward to give you a blessing today. Don't come up here with something specific because they're going to give you what God has for you. <laughs> and that's often not what you want. Yeah? <laughs> but it is what you need. Amen? Close your eyes. I'm going to pray. If I can have my leaders come up. Jesus, thank you so much for your presence here today, God. again, I just thank you. I thank you so much for the gift of life, for children in this room, for friendship. God, I thank, for, I thank you for the abundance of love and mercy and grace that you poured out on every single one of us. In turn, I bless every single person here with the gift of hope. All of these beatitudes, everything he wants us to get from this is hope, ultimately. I bless you with the gift of hope. I bless you with knowing that there are areas of your life that appear too dry. They're not too dry. He is there. He's going to bring those dry bones back to life. I bless you with an understanding and a trust and a knowing that he is for you, not against you, that shame does not have you. I bless you in the mighty name of Jesus, in the name of God the Father and our beloved Holy Spirit. Lord, come in this place and do as you will. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.